Listen to WGN Radio's newest podcast, Behind the Badge, Illinois, hosted by David Hochberg. Behind the Badge, Illinois, views current events through the eyes of Illinois law enforcement leaders. Tune in. Visit WGNRadio.com slash Behind the Badge. Reverend Moose, the executive director and co-founder of the National Independent Venue Association, welcome to WGN Radio. Thank you for having me, Raleigh. I really appreciate it. Well, I am so delighted to read about you and uh, Neva because I, frankly, had not thought about this segment of economy in the pandemic. And the more I read about it, the more I think that this is a virtual holocaust for independent music venues. Yeah, you're not the only one that didn't think about it. And, and it's understandable because for so many years, uh, the independent venues and the promoters just didn't need to ask for other people's help. We figured it out. There was always something that could kind of just get, you know, put together or you work with your, your peers or whatever it is that has to happen so we can get to the other side. And this one isn't that situation. This is truly an extinction level event. It is. Now, before we go any further, let's get some definitions. What makes a venue independent by definition? Well, generally speaking, uh, it would be venues that are locally owned. Um, you know, we, we get into a little bit more nuance of it for our own members, but, uh, but owned either, you know, by, by someone in the neighborhood or the community or at least in the general region. Uh, you know, the non-independent venues, if you will, are, uh, you know, multinational and publicly traded, and they have resources that the independent venues and promoters don't have access to. How large is the average independent venue? Ooh, that's a question with no answer. How, how long is a piece of string? Um, you know, <laughs> and the, the, I, I know uh, it, it varies. But it, but it is tricky because when people think about, like, you know, a music club, right, they might think, oh, well, that's what we have in mind. And we do certainly have small music clubs as part of our membership. Uh, but what they might not necessarily think of are some of these large art, outdoor amphitheaters or some of the municipal-owned um, uh, locations that are operated in a similar, in a similar structure or, uh, you know, some of the larger rooms or, or some of the, the oldest rooms, you know, Paps Theater in Milwaukee or, um, you know, Exit Inn in Nashville and First Avenue in Minneapolis. I mean, these places are all reasonably large rooms and they've been around for quite some time. Yes, they have, and uh, have have quite the following, and I would agree with you that for something like the Exit Inn, they don't need to advertise, they don't need to ask for a handout. Uh, In fact, uh, artists are coming to them. Uh, I remember so vividly in the early 70s, before Billy Joel was anyone, he appeared at the Exit Inn, and I've never seen anyone so afraid of the South as Billy Joel. He was, this man was shaking on stage. But you can can talk about countless people like that, the, the Shel Silversteins of the world, who literally were up on stage when nobody knew who they were, and uh, yeah. they're, they're a true asset to communities. Uh, the, the live music industry, of course, is, is huge. And when we think of it, we think about things like festivals or Live Nation that owns, what, like half of them pretty much. Uh, so we're talking $31 billion a year coming up in live music. Uh, now, if you looked at the independent venues as a share of that, about what percentage would that be? You know, it's a good question. I don't think there have been studies that have necessarily shown the share of the independents per se. Most of the studies that have been out there, or I should say most of the data sets that have been out there, are really focusing about, um, you know, the earnings of uh, of organizations like Live Nation or AEG. 
And, uh, you know, AEG is, is um, you know, technically a privately held company. So, so they have different, um, you know, protocol than what something like Live Nation, whose who's public would have. And I think that, um, you know, we as Neva, which is only an organization that's been around for uh, the last three or so months since the coronavirus started uh, closing everything, we have over 2,000 members uh, across the country. And that is definitely not all of the independent venues and promoters that are in the country. So, uh, you know, you have to think like room for room, we're, we're, we're punching above our weight. It's just when you think about market share, uh, it is dominated by, um, by, by the multinational and publicly traded organizations. For the emerging artist in particular, their lifeblood is the independent venue because some of these yeah. mega concerns uh, they're looking to uh, uh, to book the Taylor Swifts of the world they're not uh, yeah. uh, looking for the guy down the block so uh, not only is this going to be the only exposure for emerging artists but for bands that are on their way but still haven't made it the ability to make these appearances and sell their merchandise which is no small thing either is literally the difference between eating and not it is. It is. And let's be honest. Everybody would want to book Taylor Swift, right? Like that's whether it's a small room or a big room, we all want to be there. Um, but the way that you build those careers and the way that you hone your craft, if you're the artist, is you you get somebody that's willing to take a shot on you. And the majority, I mean, like almost all, almost universal, it's almost universal that in the music industry, you are playing gigs locally and trying to just, you know, yeah. draw in a local audience and build your fan base. And you have to pull that from somewhere. So it's, it's a matter of going up to the, the, the person at the club and saying, hey, this is what I'm doing. It doesn't it sound cool. Can you give me a shot? I can bring some friends. And it grows from there. Absolutely. And that, that really is the hallmark of, uh, of modern popular music. Uh, w- without it, I, I can't think of any act who would have necessarily yeah. emerged, you know, without the behind the th- sing- scene things and all of the economics we can talk about uh, that way. And, and speaking of the economics, that, that's another factor with, with live performances is that traditionally, even going back to the 50s and the payola days, uh, the labels wouldn't bother to give you royalties these independent guys, they'd say, well, you got a hit. You can make more on your performances. So everything was geared to the act is going to make money from being on stage. And now yeah. we're saying you can't be on stage. Well, the same is true, right? The lion's share of most artists' income is coming from touring. Sure. Uh, without that, then you have to come up with another solution. What's that other solution? Um, it's, it, it exists somewhere. Uh, and we're, and people are certainly being creative and trying to figure out what that is. But, um, you know, the, the answer of it is we have to make sure that when, when the other side of this pandemic life that we're all in the middle of passes and we're trying to regain some sense of what was once before, uh, we're going to need to have options and we're going to need to have local champions and we're going to need to have people that can open their doors to, to, um, to those in their neighborhood and to those that are just starting out. And the truth of the matter is, is independent venues were the first to close and they will be the last to open. Yep. And so if we aren't able to actually bridge that gap from when they were closed by government order in every single municipality across the country, and then the government has a responsibility to be able to help see them through to the other side. Yeah, it's interesting when you look at what 
at what is closed where. There are a number of factors and uh, all sorts of political implications, but you're right, I can't think of any location that didn't immediately say uh, something. They didn't call it the independent venue, but by definition, uh, you guys were closed first and, and you will be open last. And yeah. I assume that uh, in in most cases, there's not a great war chest to survive this. And if you've got, and by the way, I didn't know you were only a few months old. I figured the, yeah. or, and that's, uh, by the way, that's crazy. So if uh, that's good that from the pandemic, this has happened because clearly this is an organization that needs to be there for a lot of reasons. Yeah. So I'm glad yeah. to. I mean, for years it, it's been discussed, right? The various different people have discussed and I've had conversations with people just from, from my position, which is, is different than being a, a promoter or a venue operator in how we can potentially um, help organize something of this nature. But it did take a um, uh, an industry-wide event like this to be able to happen. I mean, I think that, that uh, there are a number of different ways that this is going to be good for the industry, good for the artists, good for, uh, you know, the radio programmers, you know, good for everybody involved that uh, will see a benefit from there being more options within the market and, uh, and more competitive mar- options within the market, too. Um, but we're at this stage now, and we need to be able to get through survival first, and then once we get past that, we can talk about being able to uh, better help the, the members and the different venues and help grow future communities and tomorrow's venue owners and uh, promoters in territories that might not necessarily have too many promoters. There's a lot of things we can do in the future, but we right now we have to be able to secure funding for our immediate survival. Right, you've got to survive. That's the big if. Without without that, yeah. nothing nothing will follow. I'm talking to Reverend yeah. Moose. He's the executive director and co-founder of the National Independent Venue Association, also partner and co-founder of Marauder, and we're going to find out about that as well. If you'd like to join us, so by all means, call 888-876-5593. That's 8888-RALEIGH. Do you have any idea about the value added by arts and culture to the U.S. economy? Boy, I'm about to knock your socks off. I'm Raleigh James, and this is WGN Radio. We're talking with the executive director of, uh, and co-founder, by the way, of the National Independent Venue Association, Reverend Moose. And I, uh, I put forth uh, the start of a statistic here, the value added by arts and culture to the U.S. economy. Now, I figured it'd be large. I was convinced it would be large. But when I read that it was five times greater than the value from the agricultural sectors, what? And that, uh, Reverend Moose, that is an absolute shock. Yeah, yeah, it really is. You know, I, I think that, that it's easy to discount the nature of things that people might consume as an add-on. But uh, but the reality of it is, is, is nightlife culture overall is incredibly valuable to um, every city. Uh, you know, you think about that this is a, um, you know, a, a second shift, if you will, sometimes a third sure, shift. Sure. But of all the different uh, businesses that are impacted, it's not just music venues, it's restaurants, it's bars, it's hotels, it's parking garages, it's, uh, you know, arcades, it's casinos, it's, it's all these right. different things that go into it. And they are generally very, very uh, important to the local economy. Jobs being hired, taxes being paid, rent being paid, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
Sure, absolutely. As you go down the food chain, it's it's huge. And when you put it in that yeah. perspective, you can start to see it. But when you say five times greater than the value from the agricultural sector, that really puts front and center uh, the importance of this yeah. on our economy. And so obviously with Save Local Stages, that's the voice you're trying to get heard in Congress. Uh, tell me what is going on with that, what the reaction is, what are you asking? I want to know every bit of it. Sure. So we launched the Save Our Stages campaign, and uh, we've been pushing Save Our Stages as a hashtag and pushing people towards SaveOurStages.com. And we've made it an easy portal for people to be able to reach out to their Congress people and say to them, this is important to me. I want to see the future of independent venues and promoters, and you have to act now because they weren't considered in the first round of, of, um, you know, of funding options. And we have generated over a million messages to members of Congress through that website. And we have had over uh, 1,100 individual artists that have shown support. 600 of them co-signed a, uh, an official letter that was submitted to Congress. And this is everyone, including Willie Nelson, the Beach Boys, Mavis Staples, um, Billie Eilish, uh, Alice Cooper, et cetera, et cetera. Like, you can see that it's, it's not just your um your 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 young, your young rock and roll bands right like these everybody from jerry seinfeld um to uh you know share was was signing that letter saying this is really important to us that we have the support for these for these independent venues and you know when you talk about economic impact there was a study done recently so it's not just about the um overall impact of the global economy or the national economy. There was a study done recently that showed in Chicago that for every $1 that was spent on a ticket, that $12 in local economic activity was generated out of that. Like, so that's, it's more than just going to a show. You are supporting the businesses around the business. Of course you are. And I think anybody who, uh, you know, unless you're a shut-in, when you think about uh, the context in which you will go out for an evening, go to a show, whatever it might be, it's not going to be we just go to the venue, unless it's a case yeah. where the venue is also, you know, serving the food and uh, the bar and all of that as, as well. And I'm sure that some of these independent venues do just that. Sure. But there are, there are other costs, right? You know, there's people that, that, I mean, I've certainly done it. I'm sure you've done it. You travel specifically for a show or you reunite with some old friends and you go and re- you relive old memories or you, uh, you know, you remember your times when you were younger and you would all pile in a car and you would drive across state lines or whatever the case might be. Right. You know, there's 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 money exchanging hands. It might be going into, uh, you know, the gas tank. It might be going over at the bar. It might be going to the hotel. There's always an economic driver that is associated with this. And if, and unless you are a shut in, in which case, you know, that's your choice and you're welcome to it. But, but the experience of, um, of being in the live setting and enjoying entertainment right there and in person in the community with other people, uh, you can't replicate that. It's also wonderfully targeted because regardless of your interest, there is a venue that will cater to it. In some cases, entire cities like Myrtle Beach catering to beach music. Uh, Literally, I think if there was no beach music other than a few golf courses, the place would die. And uh, you you look at that and it is it's it's almost for some people a lifestyle. 
And I think that, uh, you know, we, we tend to think about, oh, well, it's just the clubs and only young people go and they drink or whatever. But the reality is, is no, if you're living and breathing, this is a part of your life. And when I think about this and I think about the uh, programs that we know that have existed from Congress so far for businesses, you think about like the, the PPP, the Paycheck Protection Service, uh, you know, that thing while wonderful for some employers, I would assume the independent venue doesn't have that many employees. Most of what they do with the bands and everything else would be independent contractors. So I don't know that they would get a lot out of that program. That's exactly right. And that's the problem that we've had with the uh, the, the first round of PPP is that simply it didn't address the core needs of how these businesses operate. You know, it's intended to be able to keep people on payroll. It's a very well-intended program, and that makes perfect sense. Unfortunately, for uh, every venue and promoter, you have a very large, empty space that you are paying the same expenses on, whether there are people inside of it or not. And you can't put people on payroll to do nothing. Uh, and, and, and that's not where the large, the largest part of the cost is. It's not just to have people show up to work. If there were a work to show up to largest part of the cost is really it's, it's interviews and it's, um, it's, um, taxes and it's mortgage and it's, uh, you know, insurance and it's all the other things that come with that because, uh, those aren't going away. Those are static and they're standard and they, and they're, they're not exempt to pandemics. Exactly. So the the bulk of the expenses, forget it with PPP. Then you get in the EIDL program, and while there yeah. is some opportunity there, that too it is certainly not targeted toward uh, toward a live venue situation. And of course, well, that is a loan. loan. Yeah, well, you know, like three, that's that's the thing. It's a loan, and it's not. It's it's like these venues didn't choose to shut down. If anything, right. them being shut down is is a public service. Them being shut down is, is saying, hey, listen, we're doing this for the better good, the greater good of the community. We're trying to keep the community healthy, and we're trying to make sure people don't get sick, and we're not creating super spreader diseases. And you look at all the studies that have been done about COVID-19 and all the different conversations, and every single one of them will say either the most dangerous place to be or the very last place to open will be large indoor events. Right. Whether that's true or not, that is the prevailing logic. And you do. You see that across the board. And not only is the EIDL a loan, and you're right, and not a cheap loan. It's 3.5%. So it's not like a 1% loan. It's it's 3.5%. But any advance you get from that would count against the paycheck protection advance you got. So it would almost cancel it out. So now, are those the only two programs currently existing for existing for businesses? Yeah, it's why we're we're really putting our muscle behind supporting uh, Restart Act because we think that uh, Restart is going to be able to help uh, address some of the gaps that PPP uh, it currently has. So tell me about Restart. Sure. So the uh, the core parts of Restart is that it was essentially created by Senators Todd Young and Michael Bennett, and uh, in, in the uh, House of Representatives with Michael Kelly and Jared Golden, and it's a. Uh, uh, it's a, it, it basically tailors the PPP program, um, and it's specifically for businesses that are uh, near zero revenue with no foreseeable date to be able to reopen. Um, it helps finances the equivalent of six months' worth of payroll and all the operating costs that, that would go with it. Uh, it's more flexible than PPP is. There's a lot of forgiveness that's built into it, and um, it, uh, it, it is a better-suited process 
which admittedly, things just came together so quickly when this happened. Uh, it's not surprising that things slipped through between the cracks, but this is an entire industry sector that slipped between the cracks. Is there any other industry currently lobbying Congress as an industry saying, hey, you need to look at us as an industry? Uh, there are um, a number of different people that I think are prioritizing uh, you know, their own uh, situations, and that's fine. And uh, I don't know uh, many industries, especially when you're talking about brick-and-mortar businesses of any kind, that aren't suffering right now. Um, I think that, uh, you know, there's no there's no real partial solution to this. The idea of being able to open at 25% capacity isn't realistic. I mean, that's a, a, a terrible show any other day of the year, and that's not going to get people through the next potential year and a half of continued shutdown. I mean, it could be that long. There are people that are saying that we're unlikely to have, uh, you know, um, uh, live events for, uh, you know, the end of 2021, maybe even up to 2022. That's, I mean, look, nobody wants to hear that. Nobody wants to hear that there's no foreseeable end to this. But that's the reality is there's no foreseeable end to this. Well, it is frightening because, of course, it's impossible really to look at a COVID reaction without getting into the political game to some degree. And a lot of this is very arbitrary. And I know in, in Arizona, the health clubs are actually suing the governor because they're saying, hey, you can't show us any uh, real study that says our industry is creating a bigger problem, yet you're closing us first. And so uh, I I don't know what the fallout will be, but it would be very easy to, uh, to again, say, Say, well, we're closing any any large venue. And of course, 25 percent, you start to uh, bring in an act and uh, pay the payroll you need for that night and the electricity and everything else. And you lose money at 25 percent. Well, you lose money. You know, this industry is tough to be able to break even on to begin with. But obviously, right. you've seen the, the value in being able to um, to keep that industry, uh, you know, uh, sustainable and solid. And, uh, you know, the. Um, I, I I think that there's there, there, the, the core crux here is that these businesses aren't choosing to be closed. They're right. being told they have to be closed. They're being mandated they have to be closed. And we're not talking about a new business model here. And we're not talking about something that they shouldn't be told to do. It all makes sense. Nobody wants people dying, and nobody wants people dying within their venues. We get that. Every other day of the entire year, we're doing our best to make sure people are safe and can take an escape away from the realities that are outside those doors. But what we need is we need the ability to make sure that the business can sustain through this period. So by the time it's all done, there is still a, a safe shelter for people to be able to go to to get away from the, the things that stress everybody out on a normal basis. Percentage-wise, if you had to guess right now, and it would be just a guess at this point, what percentage of the independent venues, assuming there is no congressional intervention, do you think will survive this? Oh, I don't even have to guess. We, we have facts and surveys that will back this up. Uh, we know that 90% of independent venues and promoters will be closed for good if we can't secure funding within the first six months. 90%. Oh. And that's forever. Closed forever. 
That's sobering. We're talking to Reverend Moose, the executive director and co-founder of the National Independent Venue Association. Behind every dark cloud is somewhat of a silver lining. We'll also look at uh, uh, workarounds, maybe not for the venues themselves, although very possibly so in this digital age. What can you do if you can't draw people? Well, all that and more is coming up. I'm Raleigh James. It's WGN Radio. Talking to Reverend Moon from Neva about this, you mentioned that a million people have weighed in on Save Local Stages, but how can a million more do it? Well, we just you just have to go to SaveOurStages.com. We make it as simple as possible. Uh, it takes somewhere between 30, 45 seconds just to fill in uh, name, address. It pulls up the different representatives and senators' information right there. Uh, you can use our template. You can add your own language there and just tell your representatives how important, you know, live venues are to, are to you. That's all it is. It's that simple. So SaveOurStages.com. And you mention on that website that time is truly of the essence because uh, literally, if it's not in this Congress, it's probably not going to happen. And that that's not necessarily regardless of who is elected uh, in November, assuming there's an election. But it is that right now is the time when the actions will be taken, and who knows if ever there will be another opportunity for this. That's right. I mean, we are losing venues by the day. Almost every single day I'm talking to somebody who's saying this is as far as they can go, and yeah. uh, or getting an email saying that somebody else has closed, or some variation of that, and it's it's really upsetting. And this is this is avoidable. You know, the natural life cycle of any business is that, you know, some, some stay, some go, but this was not a decision that anybody made. They were forced to close, and we have uh, a, an obligation to our community members to be able to help them get through this. And the easiest way to be able to do that is just to assist in their very existence. That's it. That's all it is. It's just a matter of having some legislation passed that's just common sense and includes people that were missed in the last round. We think in terms of, uh, uh, you know, well, there's probably workarounds and uh, all that, but I would think that most of the owners of independent menus are really not in a position to come up with, say, digital solutions or online solutions that, that might work. I, I would think that that was outside of their, you know, their day-to-day activities. Well, there is a lot of creative solution finding right now, you know, and people are they're putting together drive-in concerts or outdoor concerts or, um, you know, various different means of uh, trying to still provide a service to their community. Uh, and, and that's actually, you know, key into what we saw from the very onset. Like a lot of these venues, as they were being shuttered, were hosting fundraisers for their own staff or trying to be a right. hub for uh, donating PPE or, uh, you know, doing food drives for uh, out-of-work musicians or whatever the case might be where they were still providing a valuable service to their community. I think that says a lot about the type of um, neighbor that they are and the type of community center that they are that uh, even going through the worst, you know, thing a business could go through and they're still trying to figure out how to help those around them. Yes, and I've seen that, too, in a big way. Uh, what I was thinking about more on that is, say, streaming uh, uh, appearances and things like that. When you start to do that, there, there are streaming fees. There's things that people are maybe not set up to do quickly on the fly, that uh, yeah. converting you in that way is a little more than saying, I've got an idea and let's all do this Thursday. Uh, but you're right. I have seen a number of, uh, number of entities doing some just wonderful fundraising and getting some spectacular results. Soroya, in Detroit. Detroit, welcome to WGN Radio. Hey, Raleigh, how are you? All right, how about yourself? 
I'm awesome. I just wanted to chime in here. Um, I've driven to Chicago many times for independent shows, and I was lucky enough to get seats to a very rare show there. So I am all for supporting venues because not everybody comes to Detroit anymore. I'm not sure why. <laughs> well, yeah, you I got it. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've heard the news. But so let me ask you, were you even aware of Save Our Stages? No, I wasn't. I want to donate. Absolutely. Because um, regardless, for me, it's a big deal. Um, my uh, years ago, uh, Lollapalooza, which is an alternative music festival, quit coming to Detroit, so we go to Chicago for it, and then we got into an exclusive show that nobody knew about, um, which was somebody from Led Zeppelin, the Foo Fighters, and Queens of the Stone Age. There were 2,000 people in the venue, and that was an independent venue who put that show on. So I am all for supporting it, and I will definitely donate when I have money. Well, I think it's not donating as much as just weighing in. It doesn't cost a dime. Let your Congress oh. people know how you feel. So if you'll just go to yeah, save our, yeah, com and sign up, it will help. Yeah, because, I mean, as somebody who loves music and independent music, um, you know, there are small acts that never come here, and I travel, and I love Chicago in general, so we definitely have to support this. And... After COVID, God, are we all going to be in venues and masks? I hope not. But, you know, if we are. <laughs> you know, that could be interesting. That could be an interesting motif. All right, Soroya, thank yeah, you. Right. Yeah, thanks so much for calling. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Bye-bye. Yeah, so, uh, you know, and I, I've heard from Soroya before, and I know she loves music. So it's interesting that she's unaware of this push. So I, for one, am very glad I'm having you on. But how are you getting the word out to the average Joe who uh, who maybe isn't otherwise in touch? Well, we have thousands of venues and promoters that uh, have their own mailing list and their own social media reach and their own contacts. And we've been certainly, um, uh, you know, fortunate that so many have have shared this message through those mailing lists. And we've had a number of different artists that have been posting about it through their platforms and using their voices to be able to help shine more light on this. It's been great to be to be able to see that kind of um, you know support. And I think that, uh, you know, it's we are a sector that people just assume will always exist. And right now, um, if if we're not able to save our stages, the likelihood of that is pretty slim. Yeah, and we we talk about the changes of society with uh, with the digital age and how there is less one-on-one contact and all that. And it would be just horrible if uh, a major forum for getting together with like-minded fans of various uh, entities and music type and other other not only music but other performances as well uh, just went the way of all flesh. Now, uh, fi- final question: uh, I realize some some congressmen will beg off saying, "Well, we just don't have the funds or whatever," but other Other than that usual, uh, uh, all the words that came to mind I had to edit out, uh, conversation, uh, then are there any objections that people are having to this? See, that's one of those things where I say, I can't see an objection. Yeah, we haven't seen objections to it. I mean, I think it's a common sense ask. I really do feel that we just slipped under the radar because nobody's really been shining a light on um, on uh, the independent sector for so long. So when you when you have that gap in representation, uh, it allows things to be able just to kind of happen without the inclusion aspect of it. And that's that's I think what we're trying to do is is essentially say, hey, listen, like like we exist, we got looked over. Um, the, we are universally supported uh, by artists, by industry, by elected officials, by neighbors, et cetera, et cetera. 
everybody wants to go out and have a good time, go to see the comedy club or go to see the band perform or go to see one of their favorite artists or whatever the case might be. And, and, you know, that's, that's something that is shared universally. Absolutely. So I'm going to have you back on again at some point because we do need to talk about Marauder and we didn't. But in the meantime, hopefully anybody who is listening to this will go to SaveOurStages.com. And Reverend Moose, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Raleigh. I appreciate it.